You're listening to The Digital Entrepreneur, the show for folks who want to discover smarter ways to create and sell profitable digital goods and services. This podcast is a production of Digital Commerce Institute, the place to be for digital entrepreneurs. DCI features an in-depth, ongoing instructional academy, plus a live education and networking summit where entrepreneurs from across the globe meet in person. For more information, go to rainmaker.fm slash digital commerce. That's rainmaker.fm slash digital commerce. And welcome to another episode of The Digital Entrepreneur. I am your host, Jared Morris, the VP of Marketing for Rainmaker Digital. And this is episode number 16 of The Digital Entrepreneur. And it's a special episode because we have a special guest, Jason Keith. The CEO of Social Fresh is here to discuss the report that Social Fresh recently released called The Future of Social. And you can get that report at socialfresh.com slash future. Uh, and we dive into a lot of the insights that Jason and his team came up with uh, with that report. A lot of interesting data. And and the timing of this, uh, this conversation for me is especially interesting because I am actually in the midst right now of putting together a course inside of Digital Commerce Academy called Savvy Social Advertising. And the big idea with that course is to teach you, the digital entrepreneur, the 20% that you need to know about social media marketing, social media advertising, to derive 80% of the benefits. Because you know, you're out there developing your digital product, offering your digital service, and you don't necessarily have the time, nor the inclination, nor the need to become a full-fledged expert on social media. You have a lot of different things that you're doing. And that's not the goal of this course. Again, it's to teach you that 20% that you need to get 80% of the results. And I think what's interesting about this conversation and this episode with Jason and why I'm excited to bring it to you is that he talks a lot about a different way to think about social media. You know, if you're thinking about social media simply as a way to build awareness and put people into the top of your funnel, you're not really thinking about social media in the way that it can have the maximum benefits. Because thinking about social media from a customer loyalty perspective, from a lead nurturing perspective, from an education perspective, from a customer service perspective, all of those elements, social media does really well. And sometimes we overlook them simply trying to build that awareness or even trying to jump right from awareness to a sale. And there are a lot of steps that can and should happen in between there. And you'll learn about that in this conversation today. And you'll also learn much more about it and learn some really important step-by-step tactics for how to make it work for you and to save you money so that you can make more money and have a better return on your investment in social. That will all come in the course. As I said, the timing of the conversation is interesting because I'm developing the course. But it's also interesting from this perspective. We are currently in the midst of our price raise promotion for Digital Commerce Academy. So currently, we're still offering our post-pilot introductory price of $395 per year for membership in Digital Commerce Academy. The thing is, since we offered that price the first time, the value of Digital Commerce Academy has skyrocketed because now there aren't two full-fledged courses in there. Uh, There are four, because in addition to Brian's course on building an online training business and Chris and Tony's course on marketing funnels, you now have Chris Lemma's course on building WordPress products the smarter way. You have my course on savvy social advertising, plus the entire library of case study webinars we've done, the entire library of cutting edge webinars we've done, plus the regular coaching Q&As, which happen every other week, and all of the upcoming ongoing education in addition to the community. So 
The time was right to raise the price, and we are. On Friday, May 27th, the price is going up to $595 a year. It's still a great value, but obviously it's a better value at $395, and you still have the opportunity to get that. So this episode comes out on Thursday, May 26th. So you've got about 24 to 48 hours from when this comes out to when the price is going to go up. So go to rainmaker.fm slash DCA. You can still get that post-pilot introductory price of $395 before the price goes up. Rainmaker.fm slash DCA. And again, you'll be able to you'll have access to my course on social advertising. Uh, and especially if today's episode piques your interest, then that is a course that you'll want to get in there and start to dig into. I'm having a lot of fun putting it together. Uh, and I really uh, am looking forward to you uh, getting in there, checking it out, giving me your feedback and learning from it. So without further ado, let's get to my discussion with Jason Keith. Really interesting discussion. You will get a lot out of this and definitely stay around till the end because we get into video at the end. And video is one of the fastest growing content types that is really, really big in social media. And you're going to want to hear Jason's tips on how you can make video work for you. Uh, so we talk about all of that and much, much more here on this episode of The Digital Entrepreneur. All righty. So we are joined on this episode of The Digital Entrepreneur by Jason Keith, the CEO of Social Fresh. Jason, how are you? Welcome to the show. Doing great. Excited to be on the show. Yeah, yeah. We're excited to have you here. Uh, and we're excited to talk about your report. You guys uh, just released this report, The Future of Social. And it has some really yes. interesting insights that I want to get into. Um, and, and I guess the first question is kind of, you know, kind of just an overview question about the report, because the report itself is based on uh, surveys that you guys had, over 500 surveys that you conducted of digital marketers whose responsibilities include social media marketing. And, and I'm just kind of wondering, to put this in the proper context for our listeners, how big on average were the companies that these marketers worked for? And will the numbers in the report and that we're going to talk about, will those be applicable for digital entrepreneurs who may be solopreneurs or have smaller teams? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think so. Um, the report was targeted, well, Social Fresh in general, you know, at our conferences, on our website, on our podcast, everything, we focus on what we call the professional digital marketer or the professional social marketer. So that's everybody from a uh, solo entrepreneur running their own company, doing their own marketing, doing their own everything, all the way up to the largest companies in the world who attend our conferences. Um, and everybody, uh, you know, really gets value out of what we do because we focus on that person and the fundamentals to that responsibility. Um, so the report was no different. Um, we had two research partners, uh, Firebrand Group, an agency out of New York, and Simply Measured, a pretty large uh, social media software company uh, who helped with the report. We also targeted people through some LinkedIn cold emails that we did so we could get some uh, job titles that we were targeting. Uh, so it's a really well-rounded report. Um, it's uh, got everybody from very small businesses to very large businesses uh, and everything in between. I think it's really representative of kind of the average of what's going on in social media marketing. Okay. And for folks who want to see the report, you can go to socialfresh.com slash future and check it out. Uh, we're going to dive into some of it here on this episode. Obviously, we can't get into everything. So definitely recommend that people go there. Again, socialfresh.com slash future and check out the report. You know, and it's interesting, one of the first observations this made in the report shows what seems to be a disconnect between what people you know kind of think they're using social for and what their goals are and and maybe what social is best for and what i mean by that is 76% of the people surveyed listed awareness as one of their top social media goals and yet there were a number of experts that you guys quoted in the report who suggested that this might be a bit of a myopic focus so what should people 
or, or in our case, digital entrepreneurs who are selling maybe an online course, a SaaS application, a premium WordPress product, what should folks be focusing on when it comes to maximizing the time and money that they're investing in social yeah. media? Great question. I, I think 10 points for the word myopic. I think if everybody's keeping score <laughs> at home, uh, great, great outline of that. Um, yeah, it's right. I mean, you know, social, social media is great for scale, right? It's set up for scale and it's set up for all these awareness metrics. You know, you can measure reach really easily. You've got a list of followers. It's public. You've got likes and comments and, and retweets, all these numbers that are thrown at us as kind of vanity metrics, right? So I think even if even if you're smart enough to know you should be going after maybe customer loyalty or sales or leads um, instead of focusing on awareness, uh, your boss may not be as savvy necessarily and may want to really get those awareness numbers higher, those vanity metrics, those followers, et cetera, right? So I think social media in general is still trying to uh, overcome that kind of setup. And I don't know if we'll really ever get past it, but uh, on the base level, social media is best at people talking to each other, right? Um, and it's really great at customer loyalty, customer service, um, really good at building community, really good at taking a smaller audience and making them go from kind of like to love, right? So taking your customers and making them really great, um, you know, word of mouth opportunities for you or taking your, you know, uh, average customer and making them, giving them a longer customer life cycle, giving them, you know, upsells, giving them uh, just a better feeling about the the trust of your business. Uh, so the real low hanging fruit in social media is that customer loyalty, is that word of mouth, and then building from there. I usually tell people to focus on three audiences in social media, and this is reflected in the report and all the expert advice we got from a lot of folks in the industry is to focus first on your customers in social media, then focus on your uh, your kind of qualified leads, which if you're B2B, that could be actually, you know, if you have a qualified lead program, or if you're a consumer business, it could be, you know, just focusing on the target audience that is best for your product. And then focus on your fans would be the third audience. Um, and your fans can be people that have great word of mouth of your company, even if they're not necessarily a customer or going to become a customer that could be partners, et cetera. Um, so those smaller audiences are much a uh, much bigger reward for the business typically. So that's interesting because a lot of people, when they think about social media, they think about filling up the top part of your funnel. But you're saying think about social media as a way to interact with people across all the different levels of engagement that you have. Yeah, and there's so much opportunity for social, right? Um, you know, we, we ask people to name their top two social media goals and awareness was just by far the most popular mentioned. And awareness, you can do great awareness building using social, using advertising products that exist on social networks, um, using video. Uh, the, there's a lot of great tools in social networks and social media uh, that can help you with building the top of the funnel. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's harder. It's going to cost a little bit more money. It's typically more difficult. Um, and it's going to cost a little bit more time. Now, if you are are good at talking to your customers and you're good at talking to your qualified leads and you're good at talking to your biggest fans on social, then yeah, build that top of the funnel. There's nothing wrong with that. But the average marketer, you know, the average social media team is very small and the average marketer has a lot on their plate. And typically you're kind of missing the lower hanging fruit if that's your number one focus. If you haven't built the bottom of your funnel to be really good, 
um, and your customer loyalty and customer service to be really good, that's a better opportunity for for the average business. Yeah, and there's a there's a, a great quote in the report from Jay Bear who says, "Embrace that organic social functions more like an email newsletter, and think strategically about how you can use social to make people who or to make people who like you make them love you." Which I thought yeah. was great, and and which you just mentioned. Yeah, Grace Jay's great with that with that. Um, you know, his new book is about customer service, so that was a great kind of fit for his uh, expertise in the report. Do you think that part of the issue comes back to the fact that people don't really understand what their goal is or that if they do have a stated goal, it's kind of the wrong one? Like they don't understand what KPIs they should be looking for? Because I know there was another stat in there. I think it was, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was 25% of people, around 25% of people didn't even know what the return on the investment was from the time and the money that they're investing in social, which you know, it kind of suggests that they don't even know what they should be tracking. Is that a big issue that that folks are having who may be struggling with uh, what they're doing in social media? It's a great question. ROI, uh, we we asked folks, 63% said they got a positive ROI from social media, which I think is pretty high because if you're able to say these activities I'm doing on Facebook, on Twitter, et cetera, are directly correlating to a return on investment for my business, that's typically not the easiest process to implement for your business. Uh, you know, having the measurement system in place, having the right goals in place, and tracking people along that process, along that funnel. Um, so I thought that was a pretty good sign for the industry. Uh, but you're right. We did have like 24%, I think, were not sure, and 12% said um, they were not seeing a return. Uh, we correlated that to a few things. Typically, uh, a, a lower kind of experience level when it came to marketing and social in general. Uh, for instance, when we tracked people that were using social media software versus people that were not, just the fact of if you were using social media software versus versus just posting natively to like Facebook and Twitter and not really monitoring it or using any analytics, using software, you saw ROI at 19 out of 20 people, uh, roughly 95%. And if you weren't using software, it was virtually a coin flip. Um, so there, there were a lot of things that really, uh, really told us that the audiences that have a better system in place, a better process, are doing really well. The, the folks, the marketers out there that um, are measuring what they're doing, have an idea of what their goals are, and specifically have, even if it's the simplest process, even if it's just Hootsuite and Bitly, right, uh, two free tools, uh, even those folks have a much higher percentage chance of seeing a good return and seeing uh, seeing it work for their businesses' bottom line. So the key then, and I mean, is to be intentional about it, to be strategic about it, not just kind of spray and pray, but actually have a plan in place for what you're doing. Yeah, it's shocking, right? Yeah, it's <laughs> it's yeah, basically, you know, I mean, there's we we just did a, a discussion about it when we launched the report. Um, and, you know, Jeremy Marketer, the co-writer for the report, uh, mentioned, you know, there's a lot of things that are hard to measure and there's a lot of things you can measure and you can get really intricate with your process and and your kind of plan to see what works and what doesn't. But just simply measuring what you can and learning from that is an initial step that that uh, some marketers don't even take, some business owners don't take. Um, so, so being very intentional about that and learning what data really tells you useful information and what data is kind of more... Uh, just uh, surface and doesn't doesn't give you as much useful information for actually making more money for your business. Um, that in itself is a is a very important step, and I think these stats kind of amplify that even more. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it it won't surprise anybody, or at least it shouldn't surprise anybody, that Facebook continues to dominate in terms of where people are spending their money. You know, where people are seeing ROI. I think everybody gets that, but there were a couple of insights. That, that I thought were really interesting that I think digital entrepreneurs especially need to pay attention to. And 
the first one, well, I guess I want to ask you if this is something that, that a digital entrepreneur should pay attention to. But you know, you mentioned there's actually a, a heading on one of the pages that says, is the future in dark social? And so dark social refers to one-on-one messaging, which can be harder to track. But that's you know Facebook Messenger and kind of the direct messaging that you get on any of these platforms. And it's kind of clear to see how this could be a challenge, especially for bigger brands who have tons and tons of fans, and that can get kind of unwieldy to manage. But for smaller online businesses, like the kind that many digital entrepreneurs are running, is this dark social, this one-to-one messaging, is this something that they should be taking more advantage of to connect one-on-one with customers and even prospects, especially as we talk about you know, connecting with folks further down the funnel with social? Yeah, it's 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 a hard uh, conversation to give businesses advice on because um, it's so new and it's so hard to really wrap your head around both tactically and strategically. Um, so at the conference this summer, uh, our, we'll have our 18th conference in Orlando, Social Fresh uh, 2016, and um, we're going to have a panel um, that's going to touch on at least dark social. We've you know we've got the CMO of HubSpot, we've got uh, some folks from Simply Measured that'll probably be talking about it, and everybody I talked to recently about kind of the future of the industry and where it's going, everybody that I consider to be very smart in social media uh, mentions this to me. Um, social messaging is basically what, what people are calling it. So it's Facebook Messenger, it's WhatsApp, it's uh, you know half of Snapchat is one-to-one or one-to-many private messaging. It's what a lot of the millennials and younger people are focused on. And even today, social messaging as a platform is larger than social networking. The people that are using these apps um, and the, the amount of content they're sending is more content and more people than are active on public-facing social media feeds like Facebook's feed and Twitter's feed and Instagram and LinkedIn, et cetera, which in and of itself is a very important fact. Um, but, but, I mean, you know, the, the ways to interact with people, if you have a Facebook page and you have a brick-and-mortar store, you probably see messages coming on Facebook Messenger, right? That's important for you to respond to. That's, that's something that's very easy to recommend people pay attention to. Uh, they're probably also getting messages or reviews on, you know, Yelp or OpenTable, things like that as well. But for the average business, there's not really a lot of actionable advice to give today um, that you can directly measure. Simply Measured is actually working on a system that allows businesses to measure uh, social messaging better. Um, But it's hard. And I think we're kind of probably years away, I would say two to three years away at a minimum before most businesses have to worry about this. But you're going to see a lot of, you know, untrackable traffic to your to your website, to your landing pages that that might be coming from private Facebook groups that might be coming from direct messages uh, in addition to the email traffic that you get that you can't track. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the biggest lessons for me is what we just talked about, which is investing in your customer, investing in the audiences that are going to be your word of mouth ambassadors and making sure those people are taken care of. Because if you do that, all of this conversation that happens in private one-to-one, one-to-many messages that you can't track, you can't measure, you can't see. It's going to be better for your business if you're investing in the right people. If you're, you know, even influencer marketing would be another layer, but just taking care of your customers, which are your best ambassadors, would be the best, most actionable thing that I could tell people um, in, in response to social messaging right now. So I guess there are two layers to the social messaging. There's the one-on-one messaging that's happening between other people that you can't see, that you have no control over, that you can't even really interject into that conversation. And then there's the one-on-one messaging that you're having with yeah. potential prospects, with customers. And that's really the only one, obviously, that you participate in. Um, yeah. And is there any way right now that folks can start? I mean, I know you said it, you know, it could be one to three years. 
is there any way that folks can start to, I guess, open themselves up for that? I mean, obviously, you want to respond if someone sends you a message. Is it something where people should, you know, be making themselves available on a Facebook Messenger or, or Twitter direct message, that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, it, I think especially if you're brick and mortar or a service industry uh, that's local, um, I, I think you're you're already getting questions asked directly of your business. If that's already happening then doing response in Twitter DMs, doing response in Facebook Messenger is something you should definitely look at, especially as a customer service uh, response tool. Um, if, you, if you read Jay's book, Hug Your Haters, he talks about messaging people uh, up to two times publicly for customer service situations and then taking it uh, into a direct message or an email or a phone call. Um, and I think that's great advice and, and really the way uh, most businesses should be treating those opportunities. And there's some businesses that are using these, these, you know, Facebook Messenger is a platform now with an API. You can plug your store into it. You can do um, automated uh, response bots in it that are customer service based, that are transactional based. If you're ESPN and a media company, you can send updates about, you know, the Carolina Panthers or the Arizona Diamondbacks, right? Um, you can do all kinds of things in these apps, but a lot of that is very um, costly on the time and the budget front end from the average business. You know, if you're ESPN, it makes sense. If you're JetBlue, it might make sense. Um, but if you're a mom and pop or an entrepreneur or even a m medium-sized business with, you know, one to 25, like, people doing marketing and PR, it might not be a resource play that you can handle right now because it's so new, it's so untested, and it would take a lot of time and effort in testing to really uh, kind of prove the, the benefit. Um, if you are interested in that, there are people that can do that for you. There are, there are companies that are building that kind of thing. Uh, but for the average business, you know, I think it's something to start thinking about, to start paying attention to. Uh, but act, act, acting on it uh, is, is probably a, a little farther away than, than this year or next year. So Instagram is growing uh, as a trend that we see yes. continue. And, and you say in the report... Instagram will officially become the second most popular social network for marketers to spend their time and money in 2016. And, you know, the numbers, the trends, they're clearly there. But, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems that Instagram still, at least among some groups of folks, has a perception problem of being more of a niche social media site for photographers, foodies, fashion folks, personal trainers. I mean, I, I still even catch myself thinking that way sometimes. And I know that's not right. I'm just saying it's kind of that perception that is there. How can digital entrepreneurs who may not have an obviously visual product and who may even have this kind of bias against Instagram for that very reason tap into Instagram because clearly it's a place to be? So, you know, it's interesting. Um, you have kind of a B2B, I think, bias against Instagram right now um, because there's it's hard to get links out of the site, right? Um, I think that's a, an immediate barrier for most folks. Um, I think consumer brands probably see uh, a lot more value in the platform, uh, and I think that makes sense because of the visual nature of it. However, um, you know there are so if you are running a an advertising campaign for let's say a social media conference like we're doing for Social Fresh, um, we use Facebook ads, right? We use Facebook ads because it's got great targeting. Uh, it's a really mature, the most mature social advertising product, and now you can do all of those ads on Instagram as well. So while you know, we just talked about how you should focus on your customers first. Um, f when we're building a sales funnel for our conference, 
we have a very targeted audience that we're, we want to make sure knows about the date and time of our event. So it, it, is, it is an awareness problem for us. And LinkedIn's advertising, I mean, uh, Instagram's advertising product is really mature because it's building on top of Facebook. So that in and of itself is going to have a lot of marketers paying attention. Um, so these might be more lifestyle photos that represent your business or industry. Um, you look at somebody like, uh, like IBM or GE and the type of content that they're creating um, that is almost more like a consumer brand. That's the type of advertising and imagery that's going to work on Instagram. And if you talk to Instagram, uh, I've talked to them directly. You know, one of the things that they're trying to focus on, focus content on, is making it look more DIY. Uh, in, in other words, less polished, less like corporate commercial, and more just you know, here's what's going on at your office, your industry, your employees. That uh, is a little more entertaining and lifestyle focused. That is a little more. It can be self help. It can be pro solving your customers' problems. You know, those are the directions that I would look. That being said, you know, if if you're B two B, I think the bigger opportunities are going to be on Facebook or going to be on LinkedIn, Twitter, maybe even like a SlideShare. But if you do have a specific awareness challenge that Facebook's ad platform can help you achieve uh, through Instagram ads. I think that's something to test because the audience is clearly there. It's bigger than uh, Twitter now. It's bigger than LinkedIn. Um, it's growing faster than both of them, and it has an amazing ad platform attached to it. So, you know, it, I don't think just because it's growing and just because it's going to receive a lot more attention from social marketers in general doesn't necessarily mean your business has to be there and has to be investing in it. However, I think you know, look at it and look at that opportunity and see if there's something you can test there on that platform. You know, you mentioned LinkedIn and Facebook obviously dominates the the paid advertising spend and the ROI as we talked about with Twitter and Instagram coming in next in terms of where people are spending their time and their money. But surprisingly, at least to me, was that LinkedIn is the one that ranked second uh, in terms of ROI. Why do you think it is that LinkedIn, the people have been able to get a better return on LinkedIn uh, yeah. despite it not being used as much as Instagram and Twitter? Well, LinkedIn's been consistent, right? It hasn't gone away. It's making, you know, it's it's bringing in revenue. Um, they're growing s slowly compared to the other social networks, but they're growing. It's it's they've got specific products for uh, for HR, for um, some sales folks, for hiring uh, that I think are really powerful. Um, and then when it came to our advertising question, I think what we saw there is we forced people to pick one, and Facebook completely dominated. I think it was like seventy five percent of people said, "If I have to pick one, Facebook ads are the best," which it's pretty representative of what the technology can do and the, and the value of it. Uh, but LinkedIn was second. It was the only question we asked where LinkedIn showed up in the second spot. It was third or lower and everything else. And I think it's because there's a small but significant audience of marketers, mostly B2B and probably even mostly SaaS software-focused um, audiences or service-focused that see a good value from the LinkedIn ad. You can do things on LinkedIn ads that you can't do elsewhere, uh, the biggest of which is is targeting job titles, which can be very powerful. However, they're a little more expensive. So most of the folks that are spending money on LinkedIn ads that are seeing success, they are uh, typically have a larger price point and can, and can stomach that kind of cost per lead price that's going to be higher on, on the LinkedIn platform. Uh, but that being said, I've seen that success consistently from this smaller yet significant audience that is mostly B2B companies on LinkedIn. And I don't think that's going away. And they, they are improving their, uh, their ad platform. They are consistently investing in it. So I think it's, uh, it's still got a lot of uh, opportunity uh, for, for a certain type of business. You know, I have a question that I wrote down. If you could only focus on one network starting today, would it be Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn? 
And I'm guessing based on your answers to these last few questions, that it's really going to depend. And it's going to depend on going back to your goals, you know, going back to your budget, going back on who you're trying to reach. Would that be a, an accurate guess on my part? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, Instagram's younger, LinkedIn's older. Um, LinkedIn's probably better for B2B. Uh, I'd say Instagram and Twitter are better for consumer. I mean, these are all generalities. I mean, your business, you know, mileage may vary. Uh, for, for us, for instance, for Social Fresh, uh, going after social marketers, Twitter is probably the best of those three. Although, again, we're looking at Instagram because there's a lot of social marketers. Uh, there's typically a majority female audience now for us, at least for our target. Um, and they're more likely to be on Instagram in, in a lot of ways. Um, so it just depends on your specific uh, demographic target. Let's turn our attention to content development uh, here a little bit. You know, I, I thought it was interesting and encouraging that you, know, you, you asked people where the biggest amount of their time is spent. And the biggest chunk of time was spent uh, in content development. Do you think that we've moved past kind of this old era where content marketing and social media marketing, especially paid social media marketing, were kind of seen as mutually exclusive? Because it seems to me like the smartest marketers realize that content and social really feed off of each other and make each other more successful. Yeah, I mean, at the first Social Fresh conference, which was uh, which I was planning in 2008, um, you know, content marketing as a term did not exist. Uh, nobody was using it. We were talking about social media and, you know, there's still people trying to debate whether it was social networking or social media is the term. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, we talked back then about blogging. We talked about video content. We talked about, um, you know, creating images and all of that was, you know, what people define as content marketing. In a lot of ways now it's, you know, it's a little broader, but it's, um, I think it's always been the same conversation. I think as social networks have gotten, noisier uh, as the competition has gotten to be louder and louder uh, and harder to get your message out, the focus on more quality content on a higher quality uh, kind of product when it comes to video or blog posts or images or whatnot, um, I think that's kind of uh, created a, a, a subsection conversation that is content marketing. I think that's great. Um, for us, we've always discussed content and social in the same breath. Um, you know, email marketing is in that conversation. You know, it's it's all digital today, and it all touches itself. It's all it's all hyper connected. Um, so I don't see them as separate discussions at all. Yeah, no, no, and and they certainly shouldn't be. And I think for again for people who are doing it right, they're not. And when it comes to content and specifically types of content, you know, obviously blog post content work, I think images uh, was the one that, you know, people who responded to your survey that they invested the most time in and that they were seeing the most success from. But the one that seems to be growing the most is video. Um, how can digital entrepreneurs be leveraging video more in their social media marketing? And are there suggestions that you have for creating good quality video that will work in social media that's not cost prohibitive? Because I know that's a big challenge for folks who want to get into video. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's so many levels of video and it, you're right. So, I mean, if we, if we look at the top three social networks uh, and a lot of our questions, uh, especially where people are seeing return and where they're investing uh, their money and time in the future, it's, it's roughly Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and if you look at what all three of those are focused on, it's video. Instagram and their newest release, uh, they have an entire section tab dedicated to video. Uh, they're stringing together videos now similar similar to like a Snapchat story. Um, 
Facebook's ad platform and their feed are focused, hyper-focused on video. Um, Twitter is also following suit and focusing on video, trying not to fall behind there. So I think purely as an opportunity standpoint, um, you know, your opportunity to stand out in this noisy system we've described uh, and your opportunity to kind of build the trust with your with your smaller audiences, your customers, your fans, I think video is something you, you have to be looking at. Um, build on top of that, you have Snapchat as a big trend, which has a lot of video content. You have live streaming pl- uh, platforms like Facebook Live and Periscope and Blab that are video focused. Uh, so I think there's a lot of opportunity to experiment I don't think you need to focus uh, purely on the uh, storyboarding, the classic like TV commercial style video where you're storyboarding something, you're doing product features, uh, you're you're doing high quality video shoots. Um, you know that's super time intensive, and if you are a big company, maybe that's important for you. But I think you look at you look at like what a what a Lowe's Home Improvement is doing on Snapchat, where they're building stories through short video clips or short stills. That's more of a mixed media experience. And I think Snapchat's a great platform for kind of relearning what video can do and using the Snapchat story product can really, uh, if you, if you start playing around with that and testing it and trying to build narratives where there's the beginning, middle and end and a purpose to your story, um, that's really video editing. And that's what video editing has been for forever. And this is a much easier way to create things like that. Uh, so I think that's a great, great education point. Um, and, and just a, one more piece of advice, uh, look to live stream platforms to get comfortable with video, look to Periscope, look to Blab, look to Facebook Live to play around with it, to get comfortable in front of the camera and to experiment uh, with lighting, with with microphones, with everything. And just, you know, minimum viable product. Get something out there, play with it, learn about it and test it. Yeah, you know, that's what's so interesting about, about video is it, it does, it seems intimidating and yet it seems like, you know, video doesn't need to be perfect to work because it seems like what people really want is is authenticity and something useful and you can do that in a video that isn't the highest quote unquote visual quality as long as it tells a good story maybe it uses text to help accentuate the visuals as, as long as audio is good which is kind of an interesting part about video is that a lot of people judge the quality of a video by the audio quality and the lighting of course but what what other kind of rules of thumb do you have for people who want to to dip their toes into video with a periscope or with you know with one of those maybe you know want to you know put it out on facebook and even do some advertising with it what's kind of the minimum that folks need to do and any rules of thumb you have for for what people need to have in those videos yeah. So, I mean, you want to tell a story. Um, I think Facebook video ads are great uh, to kind of experiment with. You can you can almost build a funnel uh, with like three to four videos that you try to expose the same audience to. So, you know, maybe one's focused on, you know, for the for our conference, for instance, we might have a 30 second spot just with highlights. Then we might have, uh, you know, clips of really short clips of past attendees talking about it, testimonials. And we might have short clips of, of speakers from previous conferences on stage showing the product. And then we might have, um, you know, videos of how, uh, of how the conference has actually changed businesses for the better and make that kind of the hard sell at the end and trying to get people to watch all four of those. You can do that really easily with Facebook ads, with Twitter ads, with Instagram ads. Now, um, make them short, make the first few seconds really uh, visually engaging because a lot of these videos are muted or the phones are muted or the computers are muted when they're first watching them. So making making them click the volume button, making them engage through a highly visual engagement, people moving around, beautiful people, smiles, action, et cetera. Um, and making, making sure you have that narrative, have that purpose of your video. You know, we, we do... Uh, interviews like this for our podcast. We do blab recordings, webinars, things like that. 
And, you know, just taking excerpts of something like that and putting it as a video ad or something uh, is not necessarily the most engaging. So you might have to do a little editing. You might have to do a little bit of, uh, of planning, of strategy and testing. Um, a, another key is to test your Facebook ads and your Instagram photos and your Twitter ads and things like that and learn which visuals are hitting well and, and do something that's very similar or those exact images as your first few seconds of your video. That's really helpful as well to get people engaged. And then like a software tip, you know, just really simple software tip. Um, I use, uh, I use a, something called ScreenFlow, which is $100. Use it on my Mac. Um, it's as good as any editing software out there. It actually makes some things a lot easier. Um, you're going to have a, if you've never done video editing, you're going to have a learning curve, um, but you have to learn it. Somebody in your company has to learn it or you have to find somebody that you can outsource it to that's, that's uh, quick and can move fast with these things and learn. Hey, when you talked about that, that kind of three, four video sequence, like what you guys are doing for the event, and obviously you have that last video that's kind of more the harder sell for the event. Where are you sending people on the first few videos? I mean, if they click over, are they going to uh, the landing page for the event? How do, you, how do you work that in as you go through the funnel? Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of these platforms, you can easily list a link. Um, you, can, you can pop up a link at the end of almost all the videos. Um, typically, what we do is we always have our landing page link for all of them. Um, if you are, uh, if you have a longer kind of sales cycle, uh, you might want to take people through more of an education of your product. Um, I think for us, we're typically, uh, very narrow in our, our advertising targets. So we are, we found ways that we can really target people that are social media marketers with our ads. Um, so there's not as much, uh, product education. It's just more convincing people, um, of the quality of, of what we have to offer through testimonials and excerpts. Um, but we try to include the link all throughout because typically for us, people will land on, the, on our conference landing page. They'll check out the speakers. They'll check out the topics. They'll realize like they're interested. They might have to go get approval. They might have to submit for budget. Um, and they'll come back again in a couple of weeks. And then they'll realize they got an email from us that the price is going up in like two days and then they'll buy that. And so it, you know, they'll come back to our, our landing page several times and we kind of build the ads around that same concept. Yeah, that, you know, that's a really interesting point and a good one. I mean, I think it's important, you know, to kind of have that level of of self awareness for your product and your company to understand what your sales cycle is, because, uh, like you said, you know, you guys have a pretty good understanding of how you're targeting and what your sales cycle is. You can send people directly to that sales page, but other people who, you know, maybe they do have a longer sales cycle, but they send people right to the page, they bounce and they lose that person. Whereas maybe getting someone to opt in, taking them through a lead nurturing sequence might have been a better decision. Do you find that there is sometimes for people who struggle with social media, a disconnect between what the, where they're sending people, the offer they're presenting to people, and maybe what they actually should be based on, you know, kind of what their product is and what their sales cycle really looks like? Yeah, totally. I think everyone has a has a nurturing problem. You know, I mean, I think I think if we all got better at, at understanding the the seventeen steps in between someone knowing about your company and buying your most expensive product, um, it would solve all marketing's problems, right? <laughs> yeah. So, for me, uh, we we look at it uh, something I l- learned a long, long time ago called the commitment curve, which is you get people to take little steps, and that kind of builds trust between you and them. And then ultimately, you try to get them to accomplish a, a larger step, a larger trigger, goal, et cetera. And that's typically a, a large purchase. So, you know, that this is something political campaigns do really well, where they get you to sign like a, a petition as a first step in that commitment curve. Um, for us, you know, our product, it costs, you know, it costs a decent amount of money uh, to attend Social Fresh Conference. Mostly it's businesses 
paying for that for their marketers to attend. Um, but we get, you know, everybody, we get a really good um, rating on people that get value out of it in return year after year. Um, but it's hard to convince someone of, you know, they just learned about the company. They never heard about it before. Drop, you know, $1,000 or more on a ticket, depending on how much they're getting involved in the conference. Um, so you have to build steps in between. Our research report is a great introduction to our company. They can spend time with that. They can hear us on podcasts like this. Um, we also have other reports that they can purchase that are, you know, a lower price point. Uh, we have webinars and things like that, experiences uh, that are good content marketing where they can get to know us. So, yeah, you have to build that those steps along the way. And if you're, if you're jumping from an introduction to, uh, to trying to cram a, a purchase, uh, into their newsfeed, then it's, it's, uh, it's a much lower conversion rate for, for everyone. Jason, when I'm not here hosting the digital entrepreneur, I'm over hosting the showrunner talking about podcasting or hosting one of the other three podcasts that I do. So I'm big into podcasting and, uh, you know, in, in looking at the report, you know, on, on that list of content, I was kind of disappointed to see podcasts so low on the list of content priorities for the companies that you surveyed. And I'm just kind of wondering your thoughts on why that was. Is that because the medium itself is still gaining traction with content consumers because you know the medium itself really doesn't lend itself well to quick consumption um, or something else? Like, Why do you think people aren't prioritizing podcast content more, especially when it's proven that its ability to connect so well? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm a big believer in podcasting. It falls into a, a larger category for us that we talk about called trust content, which is spending more time and more meaningful moments with your audience, with a smaller audience, typically. Mm -hmm. um, I think podcasts, the barrier, there's a lot of barriers. Uh, you can't measure it very easily. Most yeah. people are turned off on that. The biggest barrier is it's hard. It's hard to get uh, good quality audio. It's hard to turn out consistent content. Um, we're getting ready to start season two of our podcast for Social Fresh, and we believe in it, but we can't do it year-round. It's just too much of a, of a resource drag on our small team. Uh, but we believe in it enough that we are doing it again because we, when, when I talk to people in person, one of the number one things they mention is, oh, yeah, we love the Social Toolkit podcast. We love listening to that. It's one of the number one things people mention to me um, as a, just an ad hoc uh, unrequested uh, piece of information. So I love that. Um, I'd also argue that it's not that low on the list. You know, you're saying it's, uh, it's basically number 12 out of a list that we have that's one through 12, but we had about 20 to 25 different types of content that were listed for that question. So it's in the uh -huh. top 12. Okay. It's 7% of people create podcasts at least once a month. Um, I think it's growing. I think it's young. I think it's a hard, it's, it's a hard production, um, really drained for folks. And I, I think most folks, uh, aren't set up to do that yet. So well, just good. like video. I'm glad it was higher than I thought. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I think it's higher than you think. And and it's also, you know, there's no quick podcasting, right? There's there's quick video with Snapchat and live streaming and and short video on Twitter and Facebook, but there's no really there's not really any quick podcasting that I think does any good for anyone. So uh, that makes it a little bit more difficult. Hey, getting back to the video uh, real quick what is what's the ideal length of a video and, and and maybe that's an impossible question to answer it may depend but is there kind of a rule of thumb for how long my videos should be if i want them to have an impact in social media yeah i think it's 43 seconds i would say oh perfect <laughs> <laughs> um uh typically 30 seconds to two or three minutes is is what a lot of people say i'd say keeping it between uh 30 and probably 
120 seconds, 90 seconds is is the sweet spot. Yeah. And that really challenges you. What, what you're going to have to end up doing is taking what is in your head as a video and breaking it up usually into two or three or four videos because uh, you probably have too complex of an idea of what video you want to create. Um, so I would think about, you know, like for us, it was highlight reel, uh, testimonials, uh, speaker uh, speakers on stage, examples of that. And then the last video would be simply like one kind of case study telling that hard story at the end. Um, think of those very simple stories you can tell with video and then try to tell them really well in a short time frame. Yeah. Well, again, the report is at socialfresh.com slash future. I really, really encourage everybody to go check that out. Um, you can dig into some of these numbers that we've talked about today. Jason, uh, obviously, you know, uh, folks will go there and they'll be able to check out that report. If there is, if there's one element or kind of takeaway from the report uh, that that you think all the digital entrepreneurs who are listening to this should, you know, walk away from this episode from, walk away from reading that report from, what would that be? Well, I think it's uh, to take a close look at um, at what you're doing and if you're reaching the audience you want with the content and the social network that you're using. Because I think there's a lot of people that are focused on you know, Facebook only, or they went the other direction and focused on all the social networks they can get access to. Well, my interesting part of the report was seeing like that LinkedIn ad performance or seeing that there's still people that answered Pinterest or Snapchat um, as an ROI answer. It was much, much smaller, but there's people getting a return out of SlideShare, out of webinars, out of podcasts, right? Uh, people are still listing these things. And I think it's important for every business to find their niche. You don't have to do all of this. You shouldn't be doing webinars and podcasts and infographics and and video on Snapchat, et cetera, et cetera, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think trim it all down. Find those niche opportunities for you uh, that work for your business. If you're if you're e-commerce uh, fashion brand, look at Instagram. If you're B two B SaaS company, look at LinkedIn, and really focus on getting those right. Because there's so many people on these social networks now, you can focus on one and find a ton of opportunity. And I think that's a, a bigger trend that's going to play out for social marketers moving forward. Yeah. No, excellent advice, Jason. Uh, if you want to get more from Jason, you can follow him on Twitter at Jason Keith, J A S O N K E A T H. Jason, thank you for your time and for your insight. This has been a lot of fun. Yeah, I appreciate it. And uh, I really, really highly encourage folks to check out our conference. If you go to uh, socialfresh.com slash Rainmaker, we've just put up a temporary uh, for the next couple of weeks, $100 off. Um, that's socialfresh.com slash Rainmaker. Check us. We'd really love to see some Rainmaker copy blogger fans out there at the conference this year. Absolutely. It's socialfresh.com slash Rainmaker. All right, Jason. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Jared. Appreciate it. My thanks again to Jason Keith of Social Fresh for joining us on this episode of The Digital Entrepreneur. Again, the URL for the report is socialfresh.com slash future. And if you are interested in their conference, it is socialfresh.com slash rainmaker. Go check that out. Their conference is in August. And again, make sure today or tomorrow that you go to rainmaker.fm slash DCA because the price of Digital Commerce Academy is going up. Even if you get to this episode after Friday, May 27th, you know the price of one of those courses that is in there would be $4.95 if we sold it individually. Uh, and you're getting four of those courses plus everything else for $5.95 per year. So it's an incredible deal. We really want you to get in there, learn as much as you can so that you can take your digital business to the next level and be as successful as you can possibly be. That is the goal of the Digital Entrepreneur Podcast. That is the goal of Digital Commerce Academy. And 
and uh, we look forward to you taking advantage of it. So again, rainmaker.fm slash DCA. And if you listen to this on the day the episode goes out, make sure you go there to get the best price that you can get on Digital Commerce Academy. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. We will be back next week with another brand new episode of The Digital Entrepreneur. Until then, take care. We'll talk to you soon.